The transparent parent, Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 43 is where we'll be this morning. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 is where we'll start. The transparent parent. An alternate title would be the incoherent parent. Incoherent means unable to think or to express your thoughts. Many parents, that's where you're at, right? How in the world would my child ever do such? What are they thinking? Where did they learn this from? One of the purposes of marriage, according to the Bible, is Malachi 2.15, is to have godly offspring. Anytime in the Bible or just in conversation when we talk about parenting, it can make one feel very nervous, very anxious. So I want to give you a verse that puts your heart at rest today, if that's you. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The Lord cares for you. And today, even though you may not have any children, this passage affects your life, affects everybody's life, because there are generations that are in trouble. And every generation has the answer to the Lord. And every generation needs godly moms and dads. So let's see what God has to say today through Luke chapter 9. We'll start in verse 37, go all the way through verse 43. Here we go. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, him being Jesus. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. For he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. He suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. The transparent parent. You'll see here, very first thing, we see a desperate dad. We see a dad that's desperate. The Bible says Jesus came down from the mountain and a great crowd was around him. And this man cried out, even though there were a lot of people, even though people would look and listen to what he says, he didn't care because he cared more about his son. And he cried out, he says, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. 
He's my only child. I beg you to do something about it. God, I'm totally dependent. God, I'm desperate for you to work in his life. There's a parent with a sick child. The Pharisees that may have been standing around, you know what they would have thought had they heard this man shout this out? They would have said, oh, what did this guy do wrong? Oh, man, what did this guy, he must be a horrible dad. What did he let his son get wrapped up in? That would be the Pharisees' attitude. What did this man do wrong? The truth is, many children today in your family, in my family, many families, they are sick. Maybe they're mentally sick. They've got some mental challenges. Maybe they are physically sick. Maybe uh, a child, maybe your grandchild has cancer. Many are spiritually sick. And here's a dad who is almost ready to give up. He was ready, he was desperate, and Jesus showed up. Aren't you thankful that God shows up right when we need Him the most? So what did this dad do wrong? Well, we don't know. It's possible he did nothing wrong. Did you know that? It's possible he did everything right. He could have been the parent of the year for all we know. You know, the most righteous man on the earth at one time was a man by the name of Noah. You heard of him? Noah had built a great big boat. Noah was the most righteous man on all the earth. And even Noah's children strayed far from the Lord. They committed vile, atrocious sin, acts of sin. What about Samuel in the Old Testament, that prophet we've been learning about? Samuel was a humble, godly man, a humble leader, a righteous man. And even Samuel, two sons, strayed far from God. So we need to be careful. A lot of times we talk about parenting. It's so easy to look at all the specks in everybody else's family and not even pay attention to the logs in our own eyes. Even Billy Graham, great evangelist of the 20th, 21st century. Billy Graham, even the great Billy Graham, godly man, man after God's own heart, with his wife, who probably was even greater than him, even Billy and Ruth, their own children, many of them strayed from the Lord. So woe is me that says, not me, not I, not my children. We need to be careful, we need to be humble when we think about parenting. To help you think about little ones and how they start out. They're going to be in one of these four categories or somewhere on this spectrum. Number one, at birth, they are the very compliant child. Anybody know those kids? They just, they really are. They're more compliant. They're very compliant. That's their personality. And then there's the somewhat compliant. Anybody know these children? They're somewhat compliant. And then over here you have the somewhat strong-willed. Somewhat strong-willed. Now it's becoming more real for some people. And then way over here, you have the very strong-willed child. Anybody know them? Very strong-willed. And they're just like that when they're born. And you don't get to pick it. You don't get to get at the hospital say, Lord, I'll take a very compliant child. You don't get to do that. You know, you, you say, well, I will adopt 
I'm going to just avoid that altogether. I'm going to go to the courthouse. I'm going to, well, you don't get to go to the courthouse and say, uh, Judge, can you please make sure that you give me a very compliant child? It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. The parents that uh, have may have been, as a child, the mom and dad that were very compliant will really struggle with a very strong-willed child. They can overcome it because there's going to be great challenges. What harms our parenting more than anything else is this word. Ready for it? Pride. Pride. Pride goes before destruction, the Bible says. A haughty spirit before stumbling. Proverbs 29, verse 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but a lowly spirit will obtain honor. And what a lowly spirit here in this passage. This desperate dad, he says, Lord, I don't care about all these people hearing me talk about this. I'm desperate. I need you to show up. I need you to help my son. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you, mom or dad or grandparent. And I believe God never turns that heart away that's desperate. God never turns away that humble cry for help, especially for one of His own. Next we see in this passage, we see a dire delinquent. Verse 39. Verse 39, it says, Behold, a spirit seizes him. He suddenly cries out. It convulses with him. So he foams at the mouth and shatters him. It means it breaks him. It destroys him. It's slammed him to the ground. And this spirit will hardly ever leave. Now, this man's son is demon-possessed. We don't talk a lot about that today in our culture. But the en enemy would love nothing more than to brainwash all of Americans into thinking that spiritual warfare is not real. And it's very real, friend. It's all in the Bible. So you can ignore it if you want to, but it's reality. It is truth. So this young man, he was demon-possessed. How did he get that way? We don't know. We don't know. We do know that a, a saved person, somebody who's born again, cannot be demon-possessed. It's impossible. You say, well, isn't delinquent a strong word? Yes, it is. And friend, I want to tell you this today. We are all delinquents. What's a delinquent? A delinquent is someone who is a wrongdoer, an offender. And the Bible says that you and I have offended him. That we were all Sinful. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Genesis chapter 8 says, the Lord says about mankind that every inclination of his heart is evil from youth. Every inclination of his heart. You say, well, not about not me. Well, what about Romans chapter 3? None is righteous. No, not even one. There are there's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Friend, we are all delinquents in need of a Savior this morning. We have a fountain that's filled with blood, and Jesus saves, and He paid the price for all of your delinquency. And if you simply repent and come to Christ just as you are today, He'll forgive you. He'll make all things new in your heart and in your life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's no righteous man on the earth who does good and that never sins. So there's nobody that never sins. Don't kid yourself, friend. Demons today, they're smart. They're smart. 
And if most Americans do not believe in this kind of demon possession, then the enemy's not going to really show it, show it to us a whole lot. You see, there's a lot of fanfare right here in this passage, a lot of drama, a lot of things out loud in the open, but the enemy works in subtle ways. Did you know that? The enemy will work in a subtle way in the life of your child. In secret, in the dark places. The enemy wishes to keep our population ignorant of the realities of warfare. You see, in this life of this child, we don't know really what happened, but we do know that according to Deuteronomy, God laid it out for the Israelites. You shall love the Lord your God with what? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you rise, you should talk about them. When you lie down, when you go to sleep, you should talk about these things, the commands of the Lord. You should talk about loving the Lord. So that was the plan. That was what this gentleman, if he was Jewish, which we believe he is, this is him. He, he knew how he was supposed to raise his son. But Rome's worldview began to take shape in the life of all the Israelites. Rome had nice things. Oh man, look at these nice streets and their technology. And, and so Rome began to, all that worldliness began to rub off. All these worshiping other gods began to rub off on the Israelite children, secularism infiltrated the Jewish people. What is secular? Secular means that God is added, added to the equation, leftover. He's just added and mixed in, stirred up. Many times here in the church in the South, we try to Christianize secular thinking. Our intentions are good, but God and the Bible cannot be add-ons, friend. They cannot be added on. God in the Bible must be the ultimate central truth. Martin Luther, great reformer, says, See to it that you cause your children to be instructed first in spiritual things, and then you point them first to God, and after that to the world. Seems like we have that backwards, don't we? We have that backwards. Oh, well, first you need to learn all these things, and, and let's make sure you go to school five days a week, and let's make sure you learn all, you get learned, get your education. And then, you know, maybe when you get done with that, then you can learn a little bit about the Lord. Backwards. You say, well, my children aren't too bad. Doing pretty good for themselves. What scale do you use? Do they have a lot of money? Is that the scale you want to use? You say, well, they graduated from college. They have a college degree. They have workplace training. and They've got insurance. They even have a little retirement plan. They're doing pretty well. Is that the goal? What's the goal? Here's the goal. Be very clear. That our children become lifetime disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And no matter how great of a parent you are today, no matter how well you do it, it's still possible for them to stray from the Lord because they are responsible. You can't do it for them. They have to make the decisions to decide today if they're going to follow the Lord or follow the world. Or our children, our families consume with loving God and loving people. How are they giving their life to the proclamation of the gospel? 
Are they plugged into the local church? Faithfully serving? Are they concerned for lost people? Are they in right fellowship with God? Are your children in right fellowship, really? Right fellowship with God? You say, well, they're, they're religious. They come to church sometimes. I met a gentleman at Walmart the other night. About 11 p.m. Me and my son went to Walmart at 11 p.m. I just confessed that. You see some amazing things in there. And this gentleman, we started talking. And he said, I'm 87 years old. And I'm not religious. And if I had time, I would have told that man, sir, I'm not religious either. I'm related. I'm related to the King of Kings. Religion is man-made attempt to get to the Lord, but Christianity is that God came to us and did what we can never do. There's a difference. You say, well, my children are religious. Adrian Rogers, a great preacher, says, everything we truly believe, we obey. Everything we truly believe, we obey. Everything else is just religious talk. And that's the truth. In many families today, it's just... Everything to do with God is just religious malarkey. Just We go to church sometimes, but He's not the central figure around when your lives evolve. And God is here today, and He wants you and your family to get that right. To come and say, Lord, we apologize. God, we, we, we confess that our lives have been circling all around us and around the wrong things. God, we want to come today. We want to center our life on You. Next we see in this passage, we see the doubtful disciples doubtful disciples in verse 40 the man says I begged your disciples to cast it out but they could not and then Jesus answered and he was upset look what he says he says oh faithless and twisted generation how long am I to be with you and bear with you bring your son here the disciples they were filled with doubt in Luke chapter 8 when they were in the storm you remember that when Jesus calmed the sea and the wind and the rain. Jesus looked at him and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? If you look at this exact account in Matthew's gospel of this specific story, it's left out, Luke left it out, we don't know why. But in Matthew's account, uh, it says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. So after this had happened, they came to him privately and they said, Lord, we tried to cast that thing out. We tried it. And what did the Lord say? They said, why? They asked him the question, and he says, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the size of a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus tells these guys, you're not praying enough. Some demons can only come out through prayer and through fasting. You say, well, I'm ready to give up parenting. I'm frustrated. Have you, have you prayed enough? Have you skipped a meal? What is fasting? That means to set aside eating a meal and, and spend that time in prayer and reading of the Word. When was the last time you did that? We need to do that from time to time. The Bible talks about it. You say, well, I can't not eat. That's the most important thing in my life. There's the problem. Friend, we have food that people don't understand. Anybody 
ever question you on it, you just tell them, just like the Lord, I have food that you don't know about. Food from my Father in heaven. That's true. Not being a smart aleck, smart aleck, you just tell them the truth. These disciples were doubtful. Their lack of prayer and their lack of fasting could not affect this strong, very strong demon. Where there is a lack of prayer, church, evil will run rampant. Where there's a lack of prayer in the home, evil will run rampant. Next we see in this passage, we see a demon defeated. A demon is defeated. Look at verse 42. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Jesus commanded the demon to leave the boy and instantaneously it happened. The demon was no match for the Lord Jesus. Today, for the New Testament believer that has Christ living on the inside, greater is he that is inside of us than he that is in the world. You have that same power over all spiritual principalities and rulers if you have Christ living on the inside. 1 John chapter 5 says, Everyone that has been born of God, everybody that is saved, has overcome the world. That word world includes the demons. But someone who is not born again has no power over these spiritual forces. Verse, verse 43, we see a dependable deliverer. The Lord, He easily destroyed this. He didn't destroy it, but He cast it out. Verse 43, And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Everybody was amazed that that demon answered so quickly to the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You don't have to do it on your own. He'll protect you, and He'll strengthen you from the evil one. If you resist the devil and flee, He will flee. Our culture today seems like this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to this first few verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does this sound familiar, church? This is our day. This is our culture. This is our nation, sadly. It's not God's ideal. The Bible also says, if we will humble ourselves and seek His face, if we'll turn away from our wicked ways, that God will hear from heaven and He will heal our land. An example of how God can change a life dear friend of mine, Pastor Sean Abram. We went to seminary together in Memphis. Pastor Sean is the pastor of Binghampton Community Church. And he shares a story that happened last year. This happened last April, 2017. Not this past April, but the one before that. There was a lady in Sean's church by the name of Carol. And Carol was not saved. And Carol came to know the Lord. She actually became saved because her daughter kept sharing the gospel with her. Her daughter kept coming back and telling her about Jesus. So finally, Carol received the Lord. 
Carol got involved at Binghampton Community Church, Inner City Church in the city of Memphis. And Carol began to pray for her son named Diego. Diego was wrapped up in gang violence and darkness. And she knew Diego needed the Lord. So she began to pray. She was a desperate mom. And she began to pray every day, pray for Diego. And then Carol at her church, they knew about Diego. So all of her church began to pray for Diego. Pastor Sean began to pray for Diego. They would pray that he would come to know Christ. And then one day, Diego shows up on a Sunday morning. Pastor preaches. Pastor, they give an invitation. Diego doesn't walk the aisle. But right as people are getting ready to stand up and go home, Diego taps his mom's shoulder and says, Mom, is it too late for me to give my heart and life to Jesus? She said, Oh, baby, it's not never too late. And so with Pastor Sean telling the congregation to stand up, Diego runs up the aisle. Diego came to know Jesus. He comes forward and he asks Pastor Sean if he can receive Christ. Pastor Sean says, Diego, do you know that you, what you are doing? Giving your life to the Lord. You walk him through the gospel and Diego said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Diego was saved. Because Diego had to turn away from darkness to start a new life, the next day, Diego was shot and killed across the street from the church. Shot and killed. But he's in heaven. And God answered the prayer of this mom. God not only did God save this young boy, God rescued him out of all difficulties. God rescued him out of any trial and battle that he would have had to deal with. I hope that encourages you that God does hear the cry of a desperate mom or dad. So what now? Let's talk about parenting quickly. And I, I want to just say I'm not an expert in parenting. And I, I hope that we can encourage each other and together we can be like this transparent dad. But in the book called Why They Stay by Dr. Steve Parr, there is a chart that they map out. There's four types of parenting. Hey guys, what wireless network are you on up there? Let's see if we can do something wild here. May not work tonight. Okay, all right, that's okay. I wish I had a chalkboard. Okay, do y'all know what chalkboards are? Does anybody remember those? No? <laughs> okay, so let's, you're have to go there mentally with me. So let's say there's a chart. Over here on the bottom right corner, your left, is a negligent parent. A negligent parent, there's no love, no correction, and no instruction. So if you come tonight, we'll talk quickly uh, briefly about some of these things, and we'll use the Bible to get there. Uh, but if you if you need some help and encouragement, please come tonight. We'll address it uh, quickly. But in in uh, did I say indulgent? Where was that? Negligent. So a negligent parent really is not there for the child. Okay. Uh, so the Bible discipline. There's two meaning two words for discipline God uses in the Old Testament, and one of them means correction. And one of them means instruction. Okay, so we'll talk about that tonight. But many parents in today's culture, they totally neglect the child. 
So they might care about them. They may go to work. But really, they never give any instruction, no um, correction, and no love. Well, sure, they know I love them. Do they really? Do they really? So there's that parenting. That's the reality, that type of parenting. Negligent. Next is the indulgent parent. The indulgent parent. You know what this parent does? Buys them nice things. Gives them everything that they want. Lots and lots and lots of love. Oh yeah. I love you. I love you. I love you. But there's never any correction. There's never any instruction. That's just the reality. Now sure, they may warn about instruction. They may warn about correction. But this parent never follows through with that. Therefore, the children lose respect for that mom and that dad. Are you with me? Then over here, there's the repressive parent. The repressive. Very clear boundaries. Very clear instruction. Very clear correction. But no, not any love. Now a lot of times, the repressive parent, they didn't grow up understanding having a mom or dad that maybe articulated love, and so therefore, a lot of times, they don't know how to articulate it. It's a, just a cycle. And this is the mantra of this parent. Because I said so. Y'all know, anybody say that? We use that a lot at our house too. But it can, it can get out of hand. They should do it because you said so, because you're the parent. But if they don't know you love them, there's a problem. They don't care if you said so. You, you know, because I said so. If, if they know you don't care about them, you don't love them, then you're setting them up for failure. Because what are they going to do? When they graduate, they're going to test, they're going to redefine the boundaries. And this, these children are ready to get out of that house as fast as they can because they don't feel loved. They don't feel loved. This is the repressive mom and dad. And then lastly, there's the respected. And I believe this is what we all should strive for. The respected. They are compassionate, yet firm. Very clear boundaries. Very clear Correction. Consistent correction. They follow through with their word. Love. Correction. Instruction. Temper tantrum? Oh no. We don't deal with that. Go to your room until you can stop throwing a temper tantrum. Respected. So there's the four uh, styles. And so we all fall on that chart somewhere. If the parents ignore the need for correction, the child will learn that the boundary is not real and they will search to find the real boundary. The child, and you say, well, my child doesn't like correction. No child will like correction because it goes against their very nature. They won't like it. And a lot of times, if you don't teach them who the parent is in the home by the age that they're two, it's almost too late. It's not too late. But it, it helps if before the age of two, they understand that when mom says this, she means it. When dad says this, he means it. Because if they don't understand it by age two, when they're 13, you're going to be in trouble. That's okay, because we provide free counseling here at our church. Okay, just trying to encourage you. Amazing stat. I just want to throw this out here and leave it there. A stat from this... Incredible book from Dr. Steve Parr. 
young adults who attended worship services that separated them from their parents when they were children were 38% more likely to have strayed as a young adult than those who were not in separate services. It's talking about age-graded ministries. I'm not advocating for either or there, nothing like that. I'm just making a statement that it's important for children to be in worship with their mom and their dad. Or if they only have a single parent, it's important for that child to be in worship with that parent. Research by Barna Institute says that 38%, they're 38% more likely to not stray from the church as a young adult if they sat with their mom and dad in church. Wow. That's an amazing statistic. I'll just leave that there. Okay, so you say, well, I wish I had a time machine. Well, those have not been developed yet in America, yet. It may happen in the future. So you may, you may think, well, I want to go back and redo. Well, you can't. But it's not too late to change. So if you're a parent in here and you think, well, I need, I need to change some things, you can. If you have little ones, you, you say, well, I need to change. I want to encourage you to please talk with your children before you make a drastic change because if you do not, they're going to be very confused. <laughs> okay, Just tell them, hey, Johnny, I have not been the dad that I needed to be for you. And I want to tell you I'm sorry. I want to confess that. Hey, little Susie, you know what? Dad has not let you know enough that I love you. I've over, I've, I've gotten the correction and the instruction, but I, I've missed this point here. If your child is just strong-willed, don't run from the correction and instruction. This happens all the time, especially with people my age and the millennials. They, they say, "Well, I, I don't want to deal with it, so and so I'll just." Uh, figure out a way to get around it. Or no, you can't do that. It's your God-given responsibility to instruct them, to correct them. If you avoid it, it will harm their life forever and ever and ever. And not only you will suffer the consequences, but your church family will suffer the consequences because everybody's children are in rooms together right now. And so we all need to do our best to correct and instruct in gentleness and in love and in self-control. We have to do it leaning on the Lord. We need to embrace the battle. The temptation is just to avoid it. Well, I'm just going to avoid the battle. No. Fight for it. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who's great and awesome. And fight for your families. Fight for your homes. Fight for your children, your wives, your daughters, your sons. Fight. You take the fight out of them just to the strong-willed children. Show them you're not going to back down. It's your house. So children, in the house, you may say, my mom and dad aren't even in my life. You may say, so what, how, what am I supposed to do? Break the cycle. That's what you're supposed to do. You break the cycle. You start something new. God's given you the freedom to grow up and one day have a job and to get married. So marry the right person, somebody that loves the Lord, and break the cycle. And then, how cool is that? You get to raise your family however you want to. Isn't that awesome? In God's sovereignty, He gives you that freedom to break the cycle, to start over, to do something different. Break the cycle of abuse and neglect in your family. Break the cycle of alcoholism. Break the cycle of drug abuse. Break the cycle of divorce. Isn't that awesome that you can do that in your family? 
Ephesians chapter 6 says to children, children, obey your parents. You say, well, I don't have a mom and dad. Obey the authority figures in your life. God expects you to obey the authority figures in your life. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So children, God expects you, if you're going to love Jesus, if you're going to sing the songs, if you're going to read the Bible, you have no choice but to honor your mom. You don't always agree with them, but God expects you to honor them. You figure that out. Parents, Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So children, I'm encourage you to get right with Jesus today. Okay? You've been running like a heathen, running far away, acting like ways that you know mom and dad, ways that God has not raised you to act. You should be ashamed of yourself, and today you need to come home spiritually. Mom and dad, grandparent, hasn't been raising your child the right way. Maybe you need to come confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I just got too busy. I got too distracted, and Lord, I want to make it right. It's never too late to do the right thing. You say, well, my children, are they have kids and grandkids. What am I supposed to do? Well, if you're not in good fellowship with them, you need to make that right. You need to call. You need to write a letter. You need to go see them. Apologize. Make it right. It's never too late to do the right thing. In this passage of the transparent parent, Jesus helped save the life of this man's only child. Yet in a few months, God gave His only Son for the world. This passage is a picture of the Gospel. So how will you respond today? How will you respond? You know, our church wants to be passionate. I believe our church wants to be passionate about our little ones, raising them up to fear and walk with the Lord all the way through. We want to send them out all over the world. Don't we, church? We want to send them out to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And with that comes great sacrifice. With that comes people volunteering their time to serve in the nursery. Volunteering their time to teach Bible study to children. You say, well, those kids are wild and they, they well, friend, their mom and dad might not know Jesus. And they, they didn't have the great mom and dad like you had. And somebody needs to teach them. Somebody needs to teach Johnny how he needs to behave. And maybe that somebody's you. You know, we have a lot of women in our church doing great at this, but we need our men to step up. Can I just say that? We need little boys and little girls. They need to see a godly man. And it's not going to happen by them just seeing you in here. That's not going to do it. So we need some people to volunteer, to give their time, to help our little boys and girls see what a godly man is like. I think that's so important. If you disagree, I'm sorry. We, we can just choose to disagree on that. But every little boy and girl needs to see a godly man and a godly woman and to know how to navigate this culture, how to, how to survive in a wicked and depraved generation. Tonight, you'll get to meet and hear the testimony of our new children's director, Lacey Higgins. You say, well, I need to come meet this girl. I need to come hear her out. I need to see what she's about. Come tonight. I want to encourage you. Come tonight, and then after the service, we're going to have lemonade with Lacey. Okay, lemonade's pretty cheap, so we're doing lemonade. Don't tell her. She's, in, she's not in here right now. But, but come hear her heart. But it takes more than just that, friend. 
It takes an army. It takes every church member doing their part to help raise up these kids to be the light of the world.